Hello, you're listening to the Science of Everything podcast, episode 73, Introduction to the Immune System, part 2. So this episode continues on directly from episode 73, Introduction to the Immune System, part 1, funnily enough, and I'd strongly recommend listening to that first because much of this episode won't make very much sense uh, without that background. But in this episode, we're basically just going to continue straight from where we left off last time, and I'm going to talk in particular about the adaptive immune system and antibodies, B-cells, T-cells, a bit about agglutination, and then I'll try and sort of summarize and put it all together and, and give an overall framework of how the immune system works. Just before we start, a brief note, I wanted to apologize for the very long delay between the previous episode and this one. I unfortunately undertaken rather too many obligations of late and my time has been uh, quite limited. I'm hoping, uh, fingers crossed, that in the relatively near future I'll be able to restructure my schedule so that I have a little bit more time for the podcast. The podcast is important and I certainly want to keep it going so I don't have any immediate plans to stop making episodes. It's more just a question of time. I thank my loyal listeners for sticking in there and continuing to subscribe to the podcast even if there aren't any episodes for a little while. Okay, so that being said, let's uh, jump back into the immune system and to remind you of where we were, we had talked about the different types of leukocytes, so white blood cells in the immune system basically that fulfill different um, functions. Uh, We talked about the difference between the innate and the adaptive immune system. And mostly in the previous episode, we talked about the innate immune system, which includes uh, non-specific responses, which are mediated by both cell and humoral components, and that does not have an immunological memory, versus the adaptive immune system, which is much more specific, and we'll we'll get to that momentarily. We talked about surface barriers and inflammation, and we also talked about uh, phagocytotic cells. So these are cells that basically engulf viruses or other invasive organisms and, well, eat them essentially, digest them uh, in, a, in a vesicle. And these include things like macrophages, neutrophils, and, and uh, dendritic cells. So we talked about those, and that led us up to a discussion of the complement system. So complement, the complement system consists of a number of proteins found in the blood, which are made mostly by the liver, and have a number of important roles to play in the immune system. And there are also a number of different ways that the complement system is activated. And so last time we talked about how the complement system can can be activated by uh, phagocytosis, so the interaction between particularly macrophages and and the complement system. What I want to talk about in particular this time are antibodies, which are responsible for what is called the classical pathway of activation of the complement system. And so in order to talk about that, we'll have to, of course, introduce what antibodies are. And so let's make that our point of departure for, for this part two episode. So that, but that's where we're sitting in relation to the previous episode. We're talking about the complement system, and we're talking about how it's activated and also the functions it fulfills. And in order to do that, we need to understand what antibodies are. Okay, so antibodies. What is an antibody? Antibodies are also called immunoglobulins. Uh, basically, they're just big proteins. They're shaped kind of like a Y, like a capital Y. So there's so-called heavy chain and light chain. The heavy chain sort of makes up the inside, and the light chain is kind of like the outside, uh, which is smaller. But we don't really care about the structure very much. Just remember that it's a protein that looks kind of like a Y, and the tip bits of the Y, the, the top two edge parts, if you like, um, of the Y, these are important. Uh, these tip regions of the antibody are called paratopes, which act kind of like locks. And, of course, a lock has a key. 
the key that is specific to a particular paratope. It's called an epitope. So epitope and paratope, they bind together. This is at the, the top ends of the Y structure which forms the antibody. What is the point of this? Antibodies detect antigens. Antigens have particular epitopes, which are locks, which fit into particular keys on the paratopes. So there's a, there's a direct sort of correspondence between paratopes and the epitopes. Paratope recognizes an epitope. Lock, key, go together. So this is the way that a particular antibody recognizes a particular antigen. But what's an antigen? I haven't defined an antigen. Let's talk about that. An antigen is really, sort of circularly, anything that elicits a response or binding by antibodies. That might not be very helpful. Let's let's state it another way. Antigens are usually proteins or things that are, you know, glycoproteins or other things like that. They are just molecules that are recognized by antibodies. Here's how it fits together. You've got an antigen. It's just some molecule, probably a protein. Parts of that molecule, parts of the antigen, are called the epitope or epitopes. They act like keys. This A particular epitope interacts with a particular paratope, the lock. The lock and key fit together just precisely. A different key and a different lock won't work. Just You need just the right ones to fit together. When they do, you have, a, you have an interaction. You have a binding between the antibody, which is the Y-shaped thing, and the antigen, which is the other protein, which connects up to the uh, epitope sites on the top of the antibody. Why on earth do we care about this? How does this relate to the immune system? Well, it's very important to the immune system because, and this is the key point here, Infectious agents, so this includes viruses, particularly bacteria, carry antigens. They have them on their cell surfaces, and they also often excrete them into the, uh, through various ways, into the, the bloodstream or the intercellular fluid. So, when you have infection, when you have an infection, you will have antigens from that infection, and the antigens will be specific, or at least some of them will be specific to that particular type of infection, that particular strain of the virus, or species of bacteria, or whatever it be because there are many different variations you can have on these uh, these antigens and epitopes and so on, and the exact structure of them matters. If it's just a little bit different, it won't bind properly with the antibody. And so the antibodies and antigens are specially designed for each other in some sense, or specially fit together with each other. Now that's very important, and that's how the memory part of the uh, adaptive immune system works. It recognizes specific antigens, which come from specific infectious agents. And that's how your immune system can respond to very specific things or the adaptive part of it can respond to very specific things, very specific infections. Now, as I mentioned, antibodies can occur in two ways. They can either be in the soluble form. They're secreted from the cell and they're just sort of floating around in the bloodstream or in the solution, in the fluid between cells, wherever. The other form is attached to the membrane of uh, the surface of, of cells, so bacterial cell or whatever. So these two different forms of antigens, I mean, the antigens are basically the same, but the two ways they can exist in solution or attached to the membranes are recognized by different types of cells. Free antigens that are in solution are detected by B cells, whereas the membrane-bound antigens are detected by T cells. That's not the only difference between B cells and T cells, but that's an important difference between them. So, hopefully you recall, B cells are a type of leukocyte, specifically they're a type of lymphocyte, which are part of the adaptive immune system. Their job is basically to recognize these extracellular antigens, the ones that float around in solution, bind to them, gobble them up, essentially, and I'll explain what I mean by that, and present them to T cells, to show them to T cells. Thence, they become activated by T cells and produce antibodies. 
So B cells are also called plasma factories, or plasma B cells specifically, are called antibody factories. This is where antibodies ultimately come from. They're produced by B cells. So B cells have a role of, one, recognizing extracellular antigens, and two, churning out antibodies, and the right type of antibodies, obviously, that correspond to the antigens that, we need to res- that the body needs to respond to. Now, they need T cells to help them out for this, specifically the T helper cells. We'll get to how that works later. But, first to explain how B cells recognize the extracellular antigens. Well, each B cell has a unique special receptor protein on its surface called a B cell receptor, or BCR, on its surface, on on its membrane, that will bind to one particular antigen. So this is the lock and key thing. Basically, each B cell has its own unique lock. And uh, that's, that's stuck on the membrane. This lock will come into contact with a lot of extracellular antigens, a lot of different keys. So you can think of a lot of keys are floating into the lock, and a lot of them, most of them don't fit because they're the wrong type, and so they just sort of bump out and diffuse off wherever. But occasionally, by chance, the right one will come in. You'll get the right antigen hitting, finding the right B cell that has the exact key, uh, sorry, the exact lock that corresponds to that key. In other words, you'll have a match between the, the epitope and the paratope epitope of the antigen, paratope of the antibody on the surface of the of the uh, the B cell. When that happens, essentially the antigen and antibody complex, you know, the, the, the binding of these two things together, is ingested into the cell. It's sort of pulled in, if you like. It's internalized and processed. A bunch of reactions happen inside the cell. And then the B cells start displaying the antigen on the surface of the cell. The This is called the MHC class 2 uh, complex. So if you remember the, the major histocompatibility complex, the MHC1 that we talked about for natural killer cells, this is a different type of that, MHC2. Basically, it's this class, this bunch of proteins on the surface of the B cell, says, it, it doesn't say that I'm, uh, I'm an enemy cell, kill me. That would be bad because we don't want to kill the B cells. Rather, what it says is, hey, look at what I've found. I've found this type of bad guy, and then it waves the appropriate flag. In other words, it displays the appropriate protein. It displays the antigens. Literally, the antigen sits on the surface of the cell membrane of the B cell. It's displayed so that other cells can come and bind to it, examine it, look at it, um, essentially. Particularly, the T helper cells. So the T helper cells come along, bind to the antigen that's been displayed on the surface of the B cell, MHC2 complex, and that then activates the B cell. The B, if the B cell is displaying an antigen and it comes along and sort of, it's recognized by the helper T cell, that activates the B cell. Activates the B cell to do what? Activates the B cell to pump out antibodies that correspond to that particular antigen. So basically, what, happened, what the B cell is doing is it's saying, hey look, I found this. Look at this key that I found. I found this key and it fits with this lock. And it shows it to the T helper cell. And the T helper cell, you know, binds to the surface of the, the the complex, effectively saying, "Yes, I recognize that. I give you permission. Go ahead." And the plasma and the B cell transforms into a what we call a plasma B cell and starts pumping out the those locks. It starts producing a bunch of those locks, the antibodies that correspond to the antigen that it's just found. And these antibodies are, are released into the um, into the bloodstream generally, or into the intercellular fluid. These antibodies will be specific to the exact type of antigen, the precise type of pathogen, whatever it was, that uh, the B cell found in the first place. Now, why would we want the plasma cell to produce a bunch of these antibodies? Uh, We haven't killed anything yet. All we've done is recognize an antigen. 
Now, this is where we come back to what I was talking about before, the complement system. Remember the complement system? In order to activate the complement system, which in turn is really useful for helping out with the inflammatory response and macrophages and so on, you needed antibodies. That was the classical mode of activation. You needed antibodies to activate the complement system, which in turn activates these other things. Well, this is where the antibodies come from, or at least this is one way, one place they can come from. They come from the B cells that are activated by the T helper cells in response to the uh, extracellular antigen which they detect. So, we've traced the process all the way back to these extracellular antigens, activating the B cells, well, uh, being detected by the B cells, presented in the form of the MHC class 2 complex on the surface of the B cell, which then is uh, detected and activated by a T helper cell, which then turns the B cell into a plasma cell, which pumps out the antibodies, which goes on to activate the complement system, which helps with inflammation, which draws up all of the uh, macrophages and other phagocytotic cells, and which then starts chomping up and killing and eating and destroying the pathogens that produce the antigen in the first place. And the, the beauty of this system is that it's specific to just that type of antigen, just that type of organism. So you get much stronger binding affinities, a much more robust, uh, more specific, quicker response. So it's much more effective in that sense than the innate immune system, which reacts in a general way. This is able to be much more targeted, much more specific, and therefore much more effective. If you recall, when I talked about the difference between the innate and the adaptive immune system, I mentioned that the adaptive immune system has an ability to remember what it's been exposed to in the past. This is possible thanks to memory B cells, and they're also a form of T cells, memory T cells, which effectively have a similar purpose. But they well, are formed and then just sit around. They can last for years, many years. And basically, they, they're just there to remember to that they hold on to that MHC class 2 complex or something like it. So that in the future, if we ever see this, if the body ever comes across this same pathogen again, we're ready. We've already found the lock that corresponds to the key of the antigen. We've got it in reserve, in a sense. We just have to then start pumping it out with the plasma cells. So these memory B cells then allow for a much quicker response, a much more robust, uh, dramatic response to this infection if we see it again in the future. It's, I mean, it's basically the same thing. You pump out antibodies. It's just that you pump them out much more quickly and a lot more of them uh, if you, you meet the same infection in the future, thanks to these B cells, which quietly carry this uh, record along with you for, for many years. And this is how vaccinations work. Vaccinations work by presenting antigens in various ways, often through an inactivated form of the, of the pathogen, or you just, uh, by chopping off parts of the proteins of, on the surface and presenting them to the body, or there, or you can present very similar organism which is not pathogenic but has the similar enough antigens to elicit an immune response. There's different ways of doing it. But basically, you get the antigens of the pathogen into your system without actually getting the disease organism or the pathogen itself into your system. That way you can uh, get these B memory cells all ready to go in case you ever do come across the the actual pathogenic organism. And then you've got the, the type of lock that you need already in storage. All you have to do is pump out all those antibodies and you get a much more rapid, much more robust immune response and therefore you're able to beat off the infection with relative ease. And that's B cells. Let's now talk about T cells. I've already mentioned one type of T cell, T helper cells. Remember these ones that basically, these are the ones that recognize the MHC2 complex on the surface of the B cells and basically activate the B cells, sort of giving them permission to start pumping out the antibodies. But that's not all T-cells do. That's what helper T-cells do, but there are some other types of T-cells as well. I mentioned memory T-cells, sort of similar to memory B-cells. But there's another type of T-cell uh, that are called killer T-cells. They're a little bit similar to the, to the natural killer cells, which I mentioned earlier. So these killer T-cells go around looking for the 
MHC1 complex uh, that I mentioned earlier with, in, with respect to the hunt, uh, natural killer cells. So th- they perform, a, they really do a very similar thing, except in a sort of a bit more specific way. They go around looking for cells that don't have this. Remember, this, this MHC1 complex is the white flag that says, don't attack me, I'm self. Well, the killer T cells go around looking for cells that don't have this, which means they're not self, which means, boom, kill them. Cytotoxins, uh, which poke holes in the membrane and apoptosis, all that stuff. So it's very similar to the, to the natural killer cells, um, what the, the killer T cells do. But there is an important difference between how the T cells work and how the B cells work, particularly how they're activated. Remember I said that you have an antigen. Antigens come along when pathogens enter the body. Antigens can exist free, sort of in solution. B cells take care of those, recognize those. They can also exist on the surface of other cells. T cells take care of the latter case. So T cells cannot respond to uh, bare lone antigens that are just sort of sitting around in solution. They need antigens to be expressed or displayed, presented is the term that's often used, presented on the surface of other cells. These are called antigen-presenting cells. An antigen-presenting cell is a cell that has found an antigen somewhere, displays it on the surface of of its membrane, and basically is sending a message through the displaying of the correct protein structure, obviously. This is not you know, com- uh, verbal communication, but often helps to think of it in that way. So it's sending a message to the T cell saying, hey, look what I found. Look at this. I found this particular type of enemy. This is what an antigen-presenting cell does. Now, B cells are a type of antigen-presenting cell. I just explained about how they recognize the antigen and then display it on the surface, and then the T helper cell comes along and activates the B cell, and then they form plasma cells which pump out the antibodies. So B cells are antigen-presenting cells, but they're not the only type of antigen-presenting cells. Excuse me, um, macrophages and dendritic cells, as well as B cells, can also act as antigen-presenting cells. So they all can form this MHC class 2 complex on their, on their surfaces, which, remember, is the protein structures which say, hey, look what I found. Uh, I found this type of bad guy. So the, the major function of the helper T cells is to be able to recognize antigen bound to these class 2 MHC complexes. Again, not just on B cells, but also on macrophages and dendritic cells which once activated, then the helper T-cells divide rapidly, and they secrete cytokines. Do you remember cytokines? These are molecules which help to regulate and assist in activating the immune response. So cytokines will send messages, for example, potentially uh, triggering the inflammatory response, or triggering uh, natural killer cells to go around killing uh, cells, or, or they might trigger macrophages to come, or they might produce one of these chemotaxis that we talked about before, the chemical gradients that help attract cells to come in. So cytokines can perform all of these sorts of functions, and those are produced by helper T cells once they have recognized the uh, antigen in the appropriate uh, displaying in the appropriate presentation complex on the cell membrane of one of your macrophages or your uh, dendritic cells or your B cells. Now, there's another type of T-cells, in addition to the helper cells, the killer T-cells, and the memory T-cells. There's also regulatory T-cells. These are also called suppressor T-cells, and they're important for maintaining an immunological balance, basically, which helps to shut down the immune system uh, before it goes too far and it starts to attack things that it shouldn't. So when the regulatory T-cells go a bit haywire, that can lead to an autoimmune disease, where it's effectively you're attacking, your immune system's attacking yourself, and that's not good. But we won't talk too much about those. Just be aware that they exist, the regulatory T-cells. That's antibodies, B-cells, and T-cells. That's the uh, acquired immune system. There's one more concept that I want to discuss before we go and have a big recap and try and put everything in in focus and hopefully bring things together, because we've gone through a lot of stuff and it's kind of complicated. 
This last thing that I want to talk about is called agglutination. Now, it's a compl- it's a concept in linguistics, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about uh, agglutination as it applies to biology. It refers to the clumping together of particles, and particularly in in, a, in an in an immunological context, agglutination occurs when an antigen is mixed with its corresponding antibody. Do you remember the lock and the key thing? So when you put a lock together with its appropriate key, that produces, or and you have enough of them, then that produces agglutination. Basically, they all clump together, forming a um, a precipitate. So you can actually see them come out of solution. This is very useful because we can use it for testing. So, for example, it's this is a way that you can test a person's blood type. A person's blood type refers to the types of antigens that are displayed on erythrocytes, the red blood cells. If you have, say, type A blood, that means you have A antigens on your um, on your red blood cells. So, if I add A anti A type antibodies to a type A uh, blood, then I will ha- I will see agglutination because I'll see that the lock and the key uh, connect to each other and form this precipitate. And I can see that visually. You can literally see it uh, as little sort of dots in the in the fluid. And I can see, okay, this person has type A antigens, and I can do the same for type B. And if you have reaction for both A and B, then you're AB. If you don't have reaction for either, then you're type O. And that's how people. That's how you, basically we test blood types or ABO blood type anyway. So that's an example of how we can use agglutination. And it's a very, very useful test because we can use it to figure out what type of um, whether someone's been exposed to a particular pathogen. You know, suppose that we're concerned about, I don't know, the Ebola virus or something like that. Has the person been exposed to this pathogen? Well, if they have, their blood should contain antibodies to the antigens that are specific to this particular type of pathogen. So we take a sample of their blood, we perform an agglutination test, and see, does their blood clump, form this agglutination, form this agglutination reaction in response to reaction with the uh, the antibodies. If it does, then it shows, ah, they've been exposed to this antigen before and they've got the antibodies floating around in their blood serum. If not, well, then they haven't. Or maybe that they have some very severe uh, immune deficiency, but I guess that's another issue. Now, you might wonder why this happens. What What's the deal with agglutination? Surely it didn't evolve just for our convenience for detecting infections or determining blood type. No, it certainly did not. That's just a useful side effect. The reason it evolved is because this clumping makes it much easier to uh, get rid of the the pathogenic organism. Basically, I mean, it's just think about this. It's much easier to clean up a mess when it's all in one place than when it's all spread out and mixed up with other things. And this is basically the same idea. If we can clump all of the pathogens together, it's much, much easier to clear them out of the system than if they're all dispersed and mixed up with healthy cells. So that's how agglutination works, basically. You you have the appropriate antibodies, which bind to the um, whatever the pathogen is, This is very hard to explain without a diagram, but basically what can happen is the antigens sort of surround the pathogen and then bind to either each other or other pathogens in a way so that it sort of all forms a big matrix. It all connects up together. Antibody binds to antigen, binds to another antibody, binds to another antigen, and so on. It all connects together up into a big uh, mass, which can precipitate out of solution, and then we just get rid of it. So it's a very convenient way of getting uh, pathogens out of the body. So this is an agglutination reaction. So, that's agglutination. Let's now go through and try and put everything in place, put everything in perspective, what I've talked about. The immune system is the system of our body that is responsible for keeping out pathogens and for destroying pathogenic organisms that do make it in. We have a number of layers of defenses in the immune system. Uh, the, the first layers that we talked about are the skin and the, the mucous membranes, which help to keep things out or you know, physically push organisms out or, or particles that, that have entered the body. Those are fairly easy to understand. 
It gets a bit harder when we start talking about the leukocytes, the different types of white blood cells which circulate around the lymphatic system and also the circulatory system uh, and help mediate the particularly killing of cells and help mediating the immune responses specifically. Leukocytes, white blood cells, are divided up into two types, those that are part of the innate immune system and those that are part of the adaptive immune system. Innate immune system is has always the same response. It doesn't have any memory. It sort of always reacts in the same way, immediately in the same way to, to each different type of infection. Whereas the adaptive immune system has a memory. It's able to know what's happened in the past, and so it has differential responses. It can respond very specifically to very specific types of infections. But that takes a little time, so there's a lag involved to it. It's not as immediate as the innate immune system. There is, of course, a lot of interaction between the innate and adaptive immune systems. So the adaptive immune system includes the natural killer cells and also lymphocytes, which include the T cells and the B cells. Everything else, essentially, is part of the innate immune system. This includes mast cells, uh, basophils, neutrophils, eosinophils, monocytes, and macrophages. And uh, I think I also mentioned dendritic cells. There are actually some dendritic cells in both the uh, innate and adaptive immune systems, but don't worry too much about those. What do all these different types of leukocytes do? Well, basically, the purpose of leukocytes is to first find and then destroy pathogenic organisms or also cells that have become cancerous or infected by viruses. How do they do that? Well, there's two broad categories. There's phagocytotic cells and non-phagocytotic cells. Phagocytotic cells work by going and eating things. So they find the pathogenic cell, often bacteria, and and literally eat it. Digest it with enzymes and spit out the uh, remains from the other side. There are a bunch of different types of phagocytotic cells, so monocytes, macrophages, neutrophils, and dendritic cells, all work in similar ways by eating up the uh, the pathogen. But phagocytotic cells need to be activated. They need to have a way of finding where the the pathogen is. That's where the complement system and antibodies come in. So the complement system is a set of proteins, as we discussed, a bunch of different types of proteins, and different groups of them have slightly different functions. But it's responsible for helping out the phagocytotic cells, and also the non-phagocytotic cells, but particularly the phagocytotic cells, in knowing what they should eat. And one of the most important uh, ways that they do this is by opsonization. The protein's in the complement system, coat the surface of the, the of the microbes, marking them as, hey, I'm an enemy, kill me. And then the uh, macrophages and other phagocytes come along and uh, can bind much more readily to these um, opsonized microbes, and then they can eat them up and phagocytize them more easily. The complement system also helps the, the uh, phagocytotic cells to find the microbes in the first place by the chemotaxis, which is by which they release chemicals which then diffuse, and you have this this uh, chemical gradient where if you follow the concentration along, the phagocytotic cells are able to locate the, the center of the infection and thereby get to where they need. Complement cells also can, as I, as I mentioned earlier, directly kill cells by uh, rupturing their membranes. And they also help out with the inflammatory response, which I'll go over again in a moment. But how do we activate the complement system? Well, the complement system, the, one of the big ways that it's activated, is the classical path of activation, which requires antibodies. What are these antibody things? Remember, these are the Y-shaped molecules, which on their ends have um, what are called paratopes, which act like locks, and and each lock binds to a specific type of uh, part of a molecule called an epitope. So one antibody, one particular type of antibody, reacts with one particular type of antigen, which is just some particle or protein or something like that that comes in with with antigens, uh, sorry, with 
pathogens. Often it sits on their membrane surface or is excreted from them as waste or something like that. So one antibody, one antigen, they bind together, paratope to epitope, recognized in a very specific, tight way. We have what are called B cells, which circulate throughout the body, basically looking for antigens to bind to. Antigens can exist either bound to the surface membrane of cells, or they can exist free in solution. B cells focus on the ones that are free in solution. When they find what, when a B cell with the correct receptor on its surface finds the matching antigen, it binds with it, ingests it, displays it on its surface, and that acts as a signal to the T helper cells, which, uh, and basically it says to the T helper cells, hey, look what I found, I found this type of bad guy. The T helper cell then, the T helper cell then activates the B cell, which becomes a plasma B cell, and then pumps out antibodies. So now we've got a whole bunch of antibodies just specific to this antigen. These antigens then are able to activate the proteins in the complement system. The, com- the proteins in the complement system can also be activated sometimes directly by the antigens. So they can sometimes go through the antibodies. Sometimes they can just directly activate the complement system. And also you can activate the complement system through chemicals released by the macrophages directly. So when they eat something, they uh, this is the lectin pathway, they release chemicals which directly activates the complement system. So there's different ways of doing it. But the classical way is through antibodies which activate the complement system, which then does all of the n- nice things that I mentioned before, opsonization and the punching hole in the membrane thing and helping in the inflammatory response and the chemotaxis, helping the cells to know where to go. All of that thanks to the antibodies produced by the B cells in response to finding the right type of antigen that corresponds to the, the lock that they have on their surface. But in order for that to happen, you need the T helper cells. And you also need antigen-presenting cells. B cells, remember, the antigen-presenting cells are the cells that say, hey, look what I found. I found this particular type of pathogen. Uh, you should go and start killing this. The T helper cells go and bind to the proteins on the surface of these um, antigen-presenting cells and then activate um, well, activate macrophages, activate the complement system, and activate plasma, cells and, uh, plasma B cells and so on. But it's not just B cells that can serve as antigen-presenting cells. It's also macrophages themselves and dendritic cells that can serve as antigen-presenting cells. So T-helper cells can bind to all of these types, not just the B cells, but macrophages and the dendritic cells. So there's a multiplicity of ways that you can activate the, all of these processes. And they're, all, and they're all occurring together in sync with each other. So it's, there's never just sort of one way to do something in the immune system. There's always different ways to get to the same results. And that's, I think, very important because it means that the system is fairly robust you know, if one thing doesn't work, if one cell line has a malfunction in it or something like that, you're not just going to automatically die. Your system might be weakened a little bit, or maybe you're lacking a nutrient or something. That might weaken your immune system, but there are potentially other ways around it. So it's not it's not sensitively dependent on a single pathway. If you don't have this, then you're not you know you bam you can't your entire immune system doesn't work. There are multiple ways of getting to the same end. So for example, as I said before, the complement cells can be activated by antibodies, or it can be activated by antigens and endotoxins and other things directly, or it can be activated by macrophages directly. Or the macrophages can uh, display antigens to T cells, which in turn signal then to B cells to produce the antibodies, which which interact with the complement. Or those same B cells can detect the antigen free in solution, then display it on its surface and then interact with the B helper cell, the T helper cells, which then uh, signal to plasma cells to produce the antibodies. So there's a whole bunch of ways that you can do it. End of the day, though, the result is the same. You activate the complement system, which then does all of these helper things with the chemotaxis and the cell lysis and the um, opsonization and so on. 
In addition to the phagocytotic cells, which are sort of the main focus, there's also several non-phagocytotic cells, which also perform important functions for the immune system. So if you recall, there are natural killer cells and also killer T cells, which are quite similar. These go around looking for the so-called MHC1 complexes. MHC2 complexes, if you recall, these are the these are the protein complexes on the membrane which say, "Hey, look what I found! I found this type of pathogen. You should you should kill this guy." MHC1 cells, rather, are the ones that they're self markers. They say, "Hey, don't shoot! I'm friendly." Well, natural killer cells and also killer T cells go around looking for these MH1 complexes, and they should find them on all cells in the body. They want to always see them. It's like a passport. Everyone should have one. But sometimes cells don't have them. And if they don't have them, that means probably it's a pathogen or it's a tumor cell or it's been infected by a virus. And when natural killer cells come across a cell that doesn't have this the right passport, doesn't have the MH1, then they get mad. And they shoot out toxins and enzymes which can punch holes in the membrane and trigger ap- ap- apoptosis, uh, pre-programmed cell death, and they just eviscerate uh, their enemies, or at least they try to. So very important for the immune system, but non-phagocytotic. Also, uh, the other two types of leukocytes, white blood cells, which are important for non-phagocytotic functions are basophils and the eosinophils, and mast cells as well. These cells are all important for mediating the inflammatory response. Remember, the inflammatory response is when your blood cells get leaky, basically, and the leukocytes and other cells are able to sneak out through the um, gaps between the, the cells in the in the wall of the blood vessel and get to the site that they need to, where the uh, pathogen or in- infection uh, site is. So basophils, eosinophils, and mast cells all help out with that. And they also do other things as well. So they release cytokines, you know, chemicals that help to tell other cells where to go. And eosinophils also have a special purpose of attacking multicellular parasites, like parasitic worms, for example, which aren't very susceptible to natural killer cells or or phagocytes. Another thing that can happen is that when we have the right antibodies, which bind to the antigens of some organism that's pathogenic, that we can have agglutination, basically. The the bad cells all clump together, which makes it a lot easier to clear them out. And uh, antibodies are uh, very useful for doing that as well. So... To sum up, the immune system consists of this very, very diverse array of of cells and also proteins. So there's the complement system with all of these different proteins which help out the the macrophages and the leukocytes and other things so that they know where to go. They're releasing these chemicals, uh, cytokines and other things, sending off signals to produce the right proteins or activate the right type of um, cell division to get the right cells that it needs, also to tell the cells where to go so that the chemotaxi is following down the gradients. You've got the natural killer cells, uh, making sure everyone's got the right passport and killing any cells that uh, don't show their credentials. You've got the, the B cells and the and T cells going around looking for um, antigens either in the solution or on the surface of other cells. And uh, when they find the right antigens, uh, pumping out the antibodies, which then go and bind to the uh, antigens on the surface of cells or elsewhere, marking them for destruction or uh, attracting macrophages and other things to the right spot. Of course, antigens also help in activating the complements, which then, as as we said before, help out with all of the attracting of cells and the killing of cells directly through punching holes in the membrane and helping out with activating the inflammatory response, which helps to get the cells in the right spot. All of this stuff is all happening in concert together. It's all interacting. It's all interchanging together. That's why we there is no real... there There is no hard and clear separation between the innate and the adaptive immune systems. The cells are separate, they're different types of cells, but they the functions they perform are linked. If you just had an adaptive immune system, you wouldn't be very effective because you need the 
particularly the neutrophils, the monocytes, and the macrophages to perform the phagocytosis. That's one of the major purposes of having antibodies produced by your, your B cells. If you didn't have the innate immune system to complement that adaptive immune system, then the antibodies wouldn't be that much use. There would be some use, but much less. Likewise, if you just had the innate immune system, your reactions to to pathogens would be much less robust, particularly after seeing them uh, for the second time, because when you have the immunity stored away, the uh, record of what lock worked in the past, what particular type of antibody worked in the past, when you've got that stored away in your memory B and memory T cells, that can produce a much more robust, much more rapid uh, immune response the second time you're exposed to the, the same pathogen. And so that really helps out the innate immune system, making it a lot more, lot more effective, allowing much more specific binding and much more uh, rapid and uh, response. So these two systems work together and they complement each other. And really, that's all I have to say about the immune system. There are a lot more than aspects of it that I haven't gone into and a lot of complexities and details that, that we haven't discussed, but hopefully that has been a reasonably comprehensible introduction to the subject. Hopefully you found that interesting and enjoyable. If so, I would be very grateful if you could log on to iTunes or whatever other podcast aggregator you'd like to use and give the podcast a favorable review. It really helps to keep up the ratings and interest in the exposure of the show. We also have a Facebook page where I post up occasional updates and also visual material to complement the shows. You can go to Facebook and just type in the Science of Everything podcast. You should be able to find us and give us a like. If you'd like to send me an email and make a suggestion about how to improve the show or what topic to talk about or just say hi, I'd like to hear from listeners. My email address is fods12 at gmail.com. That's F-O-D-S-1-2 at gmail.com. Thanks a lot for listening, and I'll talk to you next time. (laughs) 